Peter Thomas Fornital here from Royal Ascot. Special show today. Nick Tamaro going to be guest hosting, but we're going to drop in a couple of pieces we recorded yesterday as part of Horse Players Happy Hour. And with that in mind, want to let you know you've got to get involved in this Horse Players Happy Hour. Amazing opportunity. Two Breeders' Cup betting challenge seats added to the prize pool for our tour at no cost to players. $20 to play every Thursday, and the house cut goes to charity. Uh, thoroughbred aftercare specifically. You can look for the games. They pop up typically on a Monday or a Tuesday over at horseplayers.com and you can watch the live stream with me and Matt Bredier, though I may take next week off. Four o'clock Breeders' Cup social media as well as In The Money Media social media. Check it out and get involved. Horse Players Happy Hour. Go to horseplayers.com to get involved. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Friday, June 17th. We're doing that thing where we double up some horse player happy hour to give you a little taste of that uh, along with the regular late week show. You can find all our shows over at inthemoneypodcast.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and you can subscribe to us over at YouTube as well. really helps actually if you uh, rate and review and leave comments and all that stuff, helping people to find the shows. We're going to kick off this show with a little segment where we look back briefly, since it's already been covered elsewhere in the network, but still I haven't had a chance to chat about it yet. And uh, of course, Matt Bernier, who's always with us on Horse Player Happy Hour, here with me today. Matt, uh, what'd you think of that Belmont Stakes? I, I thought the race was, I, I thought it was good. I thought it played out as far as the positional pieces are concerned, the way I thought it would. The top four horses with a half mile left to go. They didn't finish one, two, three, four. They kind of just, you know, moved around a little bit, but they were your superfecta. No one really made up any ground from the back of the pack. Um, I know a lot of people want to just say, oh, see, Rich Strike, it was a one-off situation. He was never going to have success with that running style in the Belmont Stakes. It just doesn't work. Um, horses that did have success, though, the two Pletcher runners. I mean, for him to run one-two, for the Ortiz brothers to run one-two, for Mike Rapoli to run one-two in New York's biggest race and to see his emotion after the race, I thought it was a fabulous result. You know, Mo Donegal, I, I have no knock against the effort. I thought it was really good. I'll be curious to see if he can replicate it at a shorter distance against better horses. Um, and I mentioned it on my show on Monday, not to say or suggest that it would have been a difference maker because Mo Donegal finished considerably faster than Nest did. But I'd be curious to know if you reverse the trips with Nest down on the inside, does the result change? If she's able to get clear and run on when she wants to go, does that make a difference? Because she was bottled up for quite a while. And at that point, Mo Donegal had flown the coop. Yeah. And don't forget, Ness didn't break well either. So yeah. I think this is a case where you trade the trips. You can make a really compelling argument that you do trade the result because it wasn't just the one spot of trouble. It was the two. Um, not to take anything away from Mo Donegal. I think they're both excellent. We thought they'd both be suited to that test. We know the Todd Pletcher training style, uh, grinding, you know, enough tactical speed. Very grinding. They seem to want to run all day. He gets the most out of them. That was certainly on display in this year's Belmont Stakes. And let's pause on Rich Strike for a second. I, I mean, I think you basically put the put the nail on the head. And like, I don't, I don't mean to be nasty about this horse. And, and I feel bad if I've I've written some fairly cheeky things about him. The the line. Did you see the line about expecting Rich Strike to win? Is like. <laughs> 
finding a wallet on the on a street corner on on Saturday and going back on Sunday to, and expecting to find another one. It's a little dismissive. I mean, look, the horse won the Kentucky Derby. You can't take that away from him. He provided a great viral moment for horse racing that, that got a lot of people looking and interested. And you know, I, I mean, that's all cool stuff. And there's nothing against him or his people. And I wouldn't be expecting him to win any big races necessarily for, for, from here on out. But, you know, I don't say that with any malice. I, I just, you know, we, we analyze races. That's what we do. That's the way I see it. Hey, I'd love to have him kick sand in my face again in, in a sense, because sometimes it's fun to be surprised as an analyst, but there's no, you know, I didn't want to come off as, I, I, I don't think see, I told you so is ever a good look for an analyst. No. And, and to be fair, I don't think the Belmont is the right race to be sort of doing that with the Belmont is a very cut and dry run style race and he didn't have it. So I'm not going to sit here and say that he can't run because he didn't run well in the Belmont uh, with a hotter pace at a shorter distance that could help accentuate a late kick. Is it possible? Of course. I, I you know, again, my, my opinion on him really hasn't changed much. He ran in the Kentucky Derby. He had an off the charts setup. He took advantage of it. He got a brilliant ride and he ended up winning. Um, do I think it's likely that happens again? No, probably not. But, uh, you know, who's to say, for whatever reason, I'm making it up. The Travers, all hell breaks loose. They go 45 and four for a half mile. And the exact same thing presents itself. And he's ready to run. Is it possible? Anything is possible. But I just don't think if you want to sit there and say, see, I knew he was no good. The Belmont's not the race that you should be using or can use, in my opinion, anyway, to sort of validate one's opinion prior to the run, because the Belmont, we've talked about it. It's an anomaly. It's such a different race than any other race we have in the United States that I don't think anyone should be making any declarations on the Belmont. And it's my favorite race that we have all year. <laughs> yeah, there was no way that was going to be a meltdown. That's what he needs. I think back to Giacomo. Now, Giacomo was a better horse with better form by a lot heading into the Kentucky Derby than uh, Rich Strike was. I think he only won one ever race ever. That's San Diego, where he got a great pace scenario. Maybe with it, who knows? I mean, now granted, the Travers looks so salty. I can't really see a world in which I pick him in it, but maybe there'll be a race somewhere down the line, Jockey Club Gold Cup or something, where there, there's a ton of pace and and he's going to be able to benefit from a meltdown again. Heck, what an irony if I end up picking the horse down the line. Could absolutely happen. That's horse racing. Not to go way down the rabbit hole, but a side story is the, the figure for the race. And now here's a, a piece that could potentially, if you're someone who is still a, or is a big, big rich strike fan, you know, the, I don't want to call it devil's advocate. Uh, but the, the flip side to that is time form us had the race considerably faster. Andy buyer wrote a piece about the buyer speed figure for this race compared to the Brooklyn. They went, you know, considerably slower. I think two plus lengths, slower good older horses solid older horses if you went just on the clock there's a scenario in which you're looking at uh for rich strike if you want to use that 20 point differential from time form to buyer he ran about a 95 which would not be far off from his kentucky derby figure so again i i'm more interested in that going forward which of those two races the brooklyn or the belmont is the one you want to really buy stock or put stock into the numbers because there's a scenario in which as unlikely as it may seem the Belmont is much faster than what the buyer would indicate. Or you could look at it the other way and say, this is the number for the three-year-olds and all of the older horses who have been remarkably consistent for some time 
for whatever reason, regressed 15 points. And that doesn't seem likely to me, but again, that's, that's the art of speed figure making. I talked to Sean Borman about it and asked him just that, that basically that exact question, who's right, time for more buyer, according to the way you make figures. He put it pretty much in the middle, you know, um, which is often a good way of assessing when you get when you get radically different figures between buyer and time format as we have this. But even that pulls them all towards something that, you know, I think people are a little knee-jerk reaction about, well, how good is this crop if Rich Strike won the won the Derby and they might not be looking at it right because, and this is a good segue, <coughs> excuse me, we not only have the result of the Preakness, which was a fast race, but, you know, if you give the extra credit to the Belmont and then you look to runners who are going to be coming back, uh, specifically Jack Christopher, who was so impressive. Give me your assessment of his performance uh, from the Woody Stevens. Uh, brilliant. I mean, and he's been brilliant in both of his starts so far this season. Uh, I was way against him had he run in the Breeders' Cup last year just because I felt like as a two-year-old, it looked like he ran like a horse with his hair on fire. Just he was too fast for his own good. He just he just had to go, go, go. And I was a little bit dubious. That combined with the pedigree about how far he wanted to go. Um, at this point, through two starts, to me, he looks like a much more relaxed version. Uh, and the talent is still off the charts. Chad talked about him a little bit as a two-year-old, saying he is as good as I've ever had. And then I think as a three-year-old, they don't want to say he got lost in the shuffle, but I brought it up on my show a few weeks ago. I mean, he has Zandon. He has early voting. He has Jack Christopher. I mean, there's a scenario in which early voting is the third of the three in Chad's barn, which is wild because he's run arguably the fastest at the, the longest sort of more classic distance. Um, Jack Christopher's 107 buyer, I think, is brilliant. He deserves to go to the Haskell. He deserves to be a short price in the Haskell. Uh, I would have to wait and see what the field looks like. But, boy, I'm, I'm not in a rush to go against that horse right now. No, I totally agree. It's going to be fun to see what happens. Fascinating. You know, Chad Brown, I've gotten the impression from uh, my conversations with him that he, Travers, real, real bucket list item. It wouldn't shock me if he goes triple-handed there, assuming Jack Christopher – doesn't show any limitations and does what we think he's going to probably do in a race like the Haskell with him and early voting and Zandon. He might not take too many chances and say, you know what? I'm going to get my Travers this year and put that three-headed monster in the gate. Everybody else. And there's going to be other great horses in there, you know, epicenter pointing towards that. And, you know, you would have to think that Motonical would be heading that way. I'm These things could change so much, but the fingers are crossed that this could be a real Travers to remember. Well, and, and I think the other thing, too, is to your point, Pete, you bring up that people are so knee-jerk about, oh, well, Rich Strike won, this group must not be any good. When leading into it, no, they weren't off the charts fast, but I think in totality, I think it's been a pretty consistently solid group from start to finish. Sure, some of the jurisdictions were a little bit lackluster this year compared to years prior, but you know, you get through the Triple Crown now and you look at the number of triple-digit buyers that have been earned by three-year-olds, I mean, I, I don't have anything. This is purely anecdotal. But, I mean, over the past few years, I would say there have been as many triple-digit buyers in this triple crown. And I understand Jack Christopher didn't run in one of those races. But earned by three-year-olds at this point in the year than any other year I can really remember, maybe with the exception of 15, which in hindsight was, a like, I mean, probably one of the best three-year-old crops of the past 30 years when you go Pharaoh and you go Frosted and Firing Line and Dortmund and some of these other horses that went on to do big things going forward. I mean, 
it's I think this is a pretty good group. And, and you're right. The Travers is going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. One more point I'll make about how this group might not be as bad as, you know, some uh, have talked about is we have much more confirmation now about the wood figure and yeah. how good of a race that was a race that, you know, Sean Borman had closer to like a one Oh five. And that's looking a lot better with early voting, running the one Oh five Mo Donegal coming back to win this. And then even uh, Skippy Longstocking um, propping up that form a little bit. So, so that, that is uh, a, that was a really strong race, and, and, and I feel- Pete, I will I will say not to interrupt the you know if you want to go in that vein from a, a fig standpoint again just sort of you know do with it what you will. Uh, Mo Donegal had paired up ninety sixes before the Belmont Stakes. If you use the time form fig and take twenty off, you're at one oh seven. So yeah. it's not an implausible move. Again, you right. as the handicapper need to decide what you want to do with it. But to your point, if you use that wood. Let's say you use Sean's fig of a 105 or somewhere thereabouts. I had heard that wood could be closer to a low 100 than the number it earned. If that's the case, early voting comes back with a 105. There's a scenario in which Modonico comes back with a 105 or a 107 in the Belmont. I mean, and again, Skippy Longstocking is he's actually kind of the, the the constant or the you know if you're looking for variables and things like that, he may be the one you want to use as the the barometer Lord because stick. yeah, he can he continues to improve slightly, but. For him to keep running as competitively as he has, I think that speaks volumes. All right. We have to do a minute on flight line. And then uh, for the horse player, happy hour, people, we got to get to this next live race. Let's talk real quick about flight line. How impressed were you with this, this performance? I, I mean, we were. I was in the studio at NBC. We're watching the race and myself and a couple of the researchers and, and obviously the, the guys up on the set. We all just like gasped when he just tipped out and went on with it. And I said, this is this is this is the only sort of uh, concern that I still had was could he ship out of California? Could he do it against better horses? Could he do it from off the pace? I know he had kind of done it before, but with everything that went against him in the Met, and I thought the ride on Speaker's Corner was brilliant. Make things tight, make him in a, a bit of a, a tight situation that he's uncomfortable or unaccustomed to, and he overcame all of it, and he still went out there and earned a one twelve buyer. I mean. I, I have at this point, I, I said on my show, his next race, whether it's the P Classic or they were to wait for the Breeders' Cup, whatever it may be, it should be at a mile and a quarter. And I don't think anybody can beat him at a mile and a quarter, even if he's never done it before. I, I, I don't need to see anything else. He's the best horse in training. It was awesome. He overcame adversity and really, really showed something in that spot. The Pacific Classic makes a ton of sense to me if that's the way they go, because, you know, obviously a horse that's had some issues trouble keeping him at that peak fitness that's why we've only seen him run whatever it is four times so if the pacific classic happens and then something were to go awry at least then you prove the mile and a quarter and if the pacific classic works out then you know you obviously just you go for the breeders cup classic and look for you know potentially cap off this hall of fame brief but if he does those two things i think we could just go ahead and say it that would be a hall of fame career from flight line And with that, if you're watching the Late Week Show, we're going to go to a break. Things are heating up outside and at Woodbine as we head towards the Queen's Plate to be run in August. Upcoming key races on the road to both the Woodbine Oaks and the Queen's Plate include the Grade 3 $150,000 Saline Stakes and the Grade 3 $150,000 Marine Stakes. Those one and a 16th mile events take place on Saturday, July 2nd. Make sure you are right here every Saturday as we cover Woodbine during a custom segment on the In The Money Media Players podcast. 
which we did today with Drew Coatney, as is the case most weekends. Make sure you're supporting our friends north of the border up at Woodbine. And welcome to our first segment on the In The Money Players podcast for this weekend of June 18th and 19th. And joining me to cover some of the action at Woodbine, Drew Coatney. Drew, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We're doing good up here in Michigan. A little wooden storm knocked out some power, but it doesn't stop the Players podcast from going on. So we're ready to talk some Woodbine today. It will take much more than nature's fury to stop this machine from rolling on. Let's take a look at these races. Uh, the pick four sequence begins in race number seven on Saturday's card with a post time of 418 Eastern time. We've got some turf action throughout this sequence. The weather is expected to be good. Of course, we're not generally affected terribly much by races coming off the turf at Woodbine because they go to the Tapita and the fields generally hold together. The first leg is a maiden optional claiming event at seven and a half furlongs on the inner turf. And Drew, one of the things we'll probably touch on throughout the sequence is that we're dealing with a big field, maybe not quite necessarily the best horse flesh up in Canada, but a competitive bunch, I think, from top to bottom. Yeah, absolutely. And with the AE list on this first race in race seven, um, we really have to talk about that as well. I think that'll be an anchor point for this uh, the start of the series. Yeah, I, I, in the horse you're referencing, I'm sure is number 13, Blue Twirlin, who if he gets in, she gets in, I should say, off the AE list, I would imagine she'll be extremely tough to handle, uh, would be dropping in class down to the 25 level. So th the conditions read a little differently here. This shows up in the PP line as a maiden optional claiming 48, but that's the purse. And so the claiming price is actually 25 down to 23 and a half. She would be in for 25, same level she's been running at. But last time out, those of us that are Timeform US users, she set a pretty hot pace before tiring. Unfortunately, she's going to need two scratches in order to get into this field. But if she does, I imagine she'll be very tough to handle. The horse that I thought was probably the most interesting price-wise was the nine Goldstorm Glory, who will likely be the pace setter here, dropping in for a tag. The only prior time on the turf <clears throat> ran against maiden specials at Gulfstream. She's never really taken a nickel of action at the windows. She's also never faced horses like this. Yeah, I took a look at the 9-2, and I just didn't like that outside draw. I thought there was some better speed, and this one might get parked wide early on these tight inner turns. And I actually went for a couple interesting horses. The first one I liked is number five, Body of Law, 10-1. to 1. Has run into some tough pace dynamics with the last time out being a bit wide um, and looked like she needed the race. And then two back burned up in that hot pace going the full eight and a half furlongs on the, on the all-weather. So... Yeah, then you even go back farther, three back, uh, faced way too tough of a bunch. And I think if this horse can get up and near the lead, uh, should be an interesting price. And maybe the turf will reverse form. And, and this race, unless the number 13 draws in, I really don't want to take a short price. So the number five body of law, 10 to one, felt like good value for us here. And then also uh, the number two, I think for uh, wine fanatics, they'll probably cringe at my pronunciation, but uh, Vignet. Is that maybe how we pronounce the, I think it's a French wine or a German wine, one of the two, but I know it's white and it's good on a hot summer day. So the number two at 10 to one as well. I had to get a bit creative and you have to squint here, but uh, last out just visually looked like this jockey was instructed to go work out on the turf. And sometimes we see this at, or excuse me, work out on the all weather. Sometimes we see this at Woodbine where the turf course isn't open yet. Horses pointing for the turf, uh, use these as a prep on the all weather to get over to the turf. So the jockey just looked to actively rate at the top of the stretch. There was not even a hint of panic uh, as this horse was already six lengths behind. Um, so I would expect going two turns in the drop in class. There might be something going right for this 
for this horse who has a trainer that's firing amazingly well. Five wins out of 17 starts, gets blinkers on in the apprentice jockey. So the number two vignette might be interesting. And then I think the number eight classic queen um, sprinting the last two outings and didn't quite have enough to close into and has looked to want to go the two turns. I would imagine this this distance is going to fit this horse perfectly. So I'm just going with the three horses, the, the five, the two, and the eight. And I'll probably weigh those equally as A's. Yeah, I, I was going to mention Classic Queen, who is the morning line favorite, which obviously isn't the most appealing, but uh, this filly is by Classic Empire, who's a 9% turf sire and is out of a dam who produced three turf winners. So there's some pedigree there, which is something you can't say about a number of these. I recognize what you said about Goldstorm Glory being drawn on the outside. That could be a little bit tricky, especially when you're dealing with what is a bit of a lesser type of animal. Let's go to race number eight. We'll be at a mile on the EP Taylor turf course, which is the outer strip. This, of course, is a one-turn mile. It is that broad sweeping turn, no doubt about it. Looks like most of the action going to be centered around the, uh, I guess, the inside portion of the pack with the three endorphin rush and the four call her Joey. Were you going to settle on one of these or looking elsewhere? I had to settle on these, and <clears throat> this is a – I have a note here that this is just a survive and move on. I think you can lock this race up with three horses, and I'll put number three endorphin rush on top. I think I'm going to get the best trip on this one. Uh, stalking the pace uh, and saving all the ground and uh, hopefully get a sweeping move there. So has the best overall figures third off the start and uh, third start for the, the four-year-old and has upside left still. So I think the, uh, that, that third start off the layoff angle here as a stepping stone uh, could be something good for the number three endorphin rush. And then <clears throat> the number five cheeky pint and number four caller Joey couldn't really split those two apart. We'll be using as bees. Um, and I, the number five will have enough tactical pace and we'll pick up the pieces. And if things really get crazy up front, the number four caller Joey will be rolling late to catch up. So the three, five, and four for me, uh, three is an A, five and four is a B, but wish I could get creative. Did you find anything creative? No, and 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 Cheeky Pint was kind of my creative horse, which she's not very creative. Um, just that those two turf races are getting a little bit buried on her form. And if you look at them, they're both way, way good enough to win. And, you know, you, you are really going to want on a horse like this, probably more than seven to two, especially for a barn that really doesn't do all that great on turf. It seems as if, though, that, that Francine Villeneuve has figured out where this horse fits. And class-wise, she's finally facing horses that she can handle on the turf. I, I always try and give extra consideration to horses that are going to be forwardly placed because I feel like everybody assumes that, oh, the stretch is gigantic. Nobody could ever wire these races. But the speeds in here look lesser, uh, mainly the one Coco Tara. She just looks like she's kind of off form. And, and even second off the layoff, I can't make much of a case on her jumping in class. So I felt like the three, four, and five, the winner was probably going to come from that group of three. Really just a matter of how you weigh it out in the sequence. Yeah. I thought your, your idea to loan A the three made perfect sense. Yeah. All right, moving on to race nine, the second to last leg, the penultimate leg of this pick four sequence is at five and a half furlongs on the all-weather surface. And we're going to be talking about Julia Carey once again, who, of course, has five wins at the still young Woodbine uh, long meet. And she has the three Verdejo, who comes back in for a tag off of a fifth place finish in an allowance race. I don't know about you, Drew. I thought this horse ran really well last time out and, and her performance really, the running line belies her performance. Yeah, I, I think this this starts with this horse and how, how this one's going to uh, answer the call to the, the allowance and optional claiming ranks here as it drops out of the allowance ranks into the optional claiming. And 
this race has a lot of those types in this event. And I am going to use the number three Verdejo as a, a defensive <clears throat> as this one might be up near the lead. I would imagine. Um, but you know, some of those fractions just don't look too, too fast. And so it might get kind of stuck in between where uh, it doesn't really have, it's too close to the pace, but not enough late kick. So I will be using that horse just based on the overall figures. My creative fun horse here is the number four, 14 days I'll be using on top. Really loved that debut performance for the 2022 campaign. Um, taking back out of the gate uh, actively by the jockey, swung too wide, not really six wide. I don't like that comment in the PPs. Yeah, it did maybe get into the six path at the top of the lane, but you can't accredit all of that as ground loss around the entire turn. But still, accelerated was the only one gaining ground late. I think this is five and a half furlong distance may fit perfectly for this runner at who's going to be a massive price and Bollinger gets back aboard. So you can't go wrong at a 20 to one price. And I'll be using those two as A's and that's it in this event. Yeah. I thought this one was super interesting too, with the uh, troubled line last time out now switching to a barn that uh, has had some success to meet no wins before in the money finishes for Michelle Love. This looks like a race where you probably did want to go a little bit narrower if you could. It's that one, the Verdejo running line from April 23rd. If, if she runs that race, they're all running for second, but otherwise you can throw a blanket over all of them. Kind of a theme of this sequence, as you can tell, as we get towards the final leg, the payoff leg is going to be at a mile and a 16th again on the EP Taylor turf course. So an elongated one turn event here. And I'll tell you what, Drew, I thought this thing was as wide open as it gets. We could be dealing with a favorite here in the, the four or five to one range. I have nothing interesting to say other than this is a spread race and I'll be using the four, 10, eight and nine equally uh, the four free shipping on top with the uh, did some decent running the golf stream and gets a cozy inside draw today. So might save more ground. Uh, the number 10, little bit gangsta best runnings over the turf drop in class has the tactical speed. And then the eight and nine are also droppers who have some rights to improve and uh, had a slow pace with the number nine uh, last out on the turf. So four, 10, eight, nine for me, when, before I turn it over to you, I was going to ask a question as we uh, recap this, where your strongest play in this sequence is because there is a lot of spread here. And I think it's important to start weighting these bets, especially in the pick four, if we can maybe get out with just a solid win bet as well um, within the pick four as well. Yeah. I mean, if, if Verdejo in race nine was going to be seven to two, three to one or seven to two, I would say that she'd be an interesting win bet. I would probably bet on cheeky pint at, at four to one or so to win. Um, I think with the 20 cent increment, what you can do is obviously play your, your good opinion for a dollar or so and try to create a little bit of value there. Um, there's also the pick five to deal with it. That is at the 20 percent uh, minimum as well, starting in race six. So probably one of those, I don't know if it's a, I, I guess it's sort of hypocritical because we're talking about how wide open the sequence is, and I'm giving you a bunch of eight and $9 horses to bet to win. So, you know, I would say that if you're looking at the sequence and you find a horse that is going to be eight or 10 to one, don't fear it. You know, don't worry about taking a swing or a stand there because that's probably just a logical spot given the way these races are set to unfold. And, you know, I'm one of those that I feel like I often let the board dictate what I'm going to do and, and kind of show me what I want to do. It, it feels like 90% of the time when I go to a sequence or an individual race planning on betting a certain horse at a certain price, they never end up that price. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's just the, the difficulty of navigating your way through kind of subpar morning lines, heavy CRW action, the, the plight of the modern better. So I do think that in, in this particular nightcap, um, I could bet, and, and this horse is going to be a, a pretty big price. I could bet a couple of dollars on Mr. Kamish, who's a horse that I would use the five at, at a big price, getting Lasix for the first time. Commissioner, not an awful turf stallion. There's kind of some sneaky turf pedigree on the damn side here. She dropped three winners on the turf. This horse is, is uh, as I mentioned, getting Lasix, got out of the gate poorly last time out, off the layoff, now second off the bench. Maybe more of a placing chance and a horse that you might want to bet to win and then include underneath in some exactas and or some tries, which are also, of course, at the 20 cent uh, minimum as well. So that gives you a, a little bit more flexibility. I thought that horse, I can make a little bit of a case, but otherwise the ones that you mentioned, uh, the four, eight, nine, and 10 seem to make plenty of sense. Of course, a little bit gangsta, the 10 and free shipping the four. I mean, these are horses that are getting a little long in the tooth as maidens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And <clears throat> I, I'm looking at your idea of Mr. Commission, and, it, and it, it is a convincing argument here with with what looks like this one could pick up a lot of pieces for a massive price. You can't, you got to imagine that 20 to one stays well for you. So that I do like that idea that you have there. And, it, and in terms of where, where I might focus a little bit of play to try and tame the chaos as it were within the pick four sequences, I might look at a double here with race eight, three, five, four with endorphin rush, cheeky pint and caller Joey into Verdejo in the race nine and sprinkle a little bit of money with the number four or 14 days, just looking at trying to Dutch it so that if the three and the four wins, I'll get something. Uh, let's just say I have a $50 budget. I'm I'll target about $500, $750 in a return so that I will only have to bet a couple dollars on that. Whereas with the endorphin rush over Verdejo, I'm imagining I'm going to have to be spending 25 bucks to get to that 500 to $750 ROI. Just depends on all the will pays, but um, I, I think that might be where I'm looking here and probably spreading half of my bankroll allocated to that double and then half of it, maybe a third of it to the pick four with the chaos that we're, we're talking about. And um, yeah, I, I think that's where, I think that's where I'm headed this weekend. I think it makes perfect sense. And it's a good way to handle what is a pretty tricky sequence at Woodbine on Saturday afternoon. Drew, we wanted to wish you a happy father's day going to be, is this your first as a, as a dad? No, this is the second. I can't remember what happened the first. I was out of town, so this is the first that we're uh, we're in town and hanging out. So, golfing, grilling, fishing, all the good stuff. How about Very you? Nice. This is my going to be my third already. So great. Yeah, first one we were in a lockdown. Second one we were in a semi lockdown. So this is the first one where I guess we'll really really get to enjoy it. But uh, as I I texted our our mutual friend Matt Bernier a few weeks ago when his uh, daughter was born, and I said, "There's nothing like fatherhood." Yeah, it's true. It changes everything. It's the cliche, but it's in the best way possible. No, it really does. And in fact, I mean, not that I'm going to bore the audience with, with great details of it, but, you know, my daughter was born in, in October of 2019. So we were in the early stages of COVID in April, uh, March or April of 2020. And I was putting her down into her crib for a nap. And I realized it was sort of that like, wow, okay, so this little person is completely and totally reliant on me and her mother. And uh, there's no out, right? There's You're, you're totally and completely committed. But uh, I, I think it's one where you certainly have a lot of prep time to get ready for the task, even though it seems like you're never really ready. No, it's, it's a learn on the job type of move. But no, we're excited. Happy Father's Day to you. And uh, what a great weekend. We've got US Open coverage. We've got Ascot. 
and then also Woodbine up north for us this weekend. So can't can't ask for anything better. Got that right. Drew, thanks for joining me, and I'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. Saturday, July 18th is a huge day at Monmouth Park as they run four stakes races, three of them graded in their big Haskell preview day card. The In The Money media team featuring myself will be here to have a custom episode later in the week covering the four stakes on the card. We recorded that today, so it should be available as we speak. That includes the TVG.com Pegasus, the Salvatore Mile, the Monmouth Stakes, and the Eatontown Stakes. Be sure to check out the show and the great racing on Saturday. We also covered the win early pick five it was a roundtable group of four that included Dallas Baker from Betmaker, Samantha Perry of Monmouth Park, and Brian Skirka, Monmouth Park employee and contest organizer extraordinaire. Live racing Friday through Sunday starting on back on June 3rd at Monmouth Park. Post time 12.15 on Saturdays and Sundays, 2 p.m. Eastern time on Friday afternoons. There's the opportunity to get involved in the win early pick five, the nation's earliest pick five that kicks off every Saturday and Sunday at 12.15. For on-site customers only at the moment, fixed odds wagering is here. You're going to hear a lot about it here on the In The Money Media Network with our friends over at BetMakers. Make your way to the shore's greatest stretch, Mammoth Park. Up next, we're going to head to the Big Apple for the Saturday Late Pick 5 at Naira. And joining me is Timeform US czar, chief figure maker, and now morning line maker to the stars, Craig Milkowski. Craig, how you doing, my friend? <laughs> Uh, I want to announce right now I've retired from morning line making. Uh, I finished up Sundays for for Belmont, and hopefully that's the last one I ever have to do. I think the way that people are going to describe it is they're going to say, boy, Craig Mulkowski, as a morning line maker, he's a great figure maker. <laughs> You'll take yeah, that, right? Uh, You'll take that eight days yeah, a week. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. All I can say about it is I spent way, way too much time on it. So I definitely put the work in, whether it shows in the product itself, I, I don't know. But uh, I did what I did the best I could. When push comes to shove, it doesn't really matter all that much. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get into this sequence, which begins in race six with the poker, a grade three and a mile on the turf. And of course, we can talk about this race. It's probably more interesting to talk about it from the perspective of making a morning line, because we're going to be dealing with an extremely short price in number one, Mason, who looks for his second straight stakes win after getting beaten by a nose in the Maker's Mark mile back in April. This is a horse, Craig, who probably, when all is said and done, go off two to five or three to five. It'll also depend on if his stablemate public sector goes here or ends up running down at Monmouth. Yeah, it sounds like he's going to go here uh, as of yesterday, but yeah. Yeah, that would definitely make a swing in the odds. I probably should have made this horse four to five on the line. We all know he's going to go off shorter than that, and frankly, he's going to be really tough to beat. Uh, I would say the main competition would be public sector. It may not really show it in the figures. Uh, he's probably not as fast as what we've seen from Sanctuary City, but he's a horse, I think, who has a lot of upside. He's still a four-year-old, which for me personally, I kind of look at four-year-olds on the turf, almost like three-year-olds on the dirt, where I think they're still getting a lot better. They're still learning the game. And I know Chad Brown's pretty high on this horse. He had entered him in the uh, Maker's Mile. And then he ran on that Churchill course last time that was just not good. And, and a lot of horses didn't show up on it. He was one of them. So I personally think he's the second most likely winner. Yeah, I, I thought as well. Mason just seems so dangerous because we've seen Chad Brown have horses like this. They generally don't have this kind of early foot. And, and I think that really makes Mason significantly more dangerous. He is a horse who I would imagine is destined for the grade one stops in the fall, summer and fall, including the four-star Dave, where Chad's going to have horses of, of both 
sexes that look like contenders. Uh, so Mason, again, a likely single and a heavy favorite to start this pick five sequence. On to race number seven, the second leg, which is at a mile and a 16th on the inner turf. And one of the more documented bad trips from the Keeneland meet during the spring stand back in April was that of Credit Event, who draws the inside post here and uh, has been, was installed by yourself as the favorite at seven to two on the morning line. And the Credit Event is now getting blinkers this is a horse who had a pretty rough go of it last time. Yeah, he was just completely stymied basically the whole way. Uh, that's actually the word they used in the chart, which you don't see very often. Uh, don't want to knock Tyler Gaffley on sometimes. He was doing the right thing, trying to save ground. And sometimes that trip just doesn't work out on turf. Uh, everybody gets on these guys. But, you know, sometimes that's just the way it is. I don't think he really did anything wrong. He just kind of got himself in a tough spot he couldn't get out of. So this is a horse who shot a lot, showed a lot of promise on the synthetic. And I think you got to look past that race and assume he's a lot better than that running line shows. Did you think in this race, as far as the pick five sequence goes, I know you're more of a, not a, a pretty heavy horizontal, uh, better. Um, is this kind of horse that you thought you could, we could single? I, I didn't, I just thought the alternatives looked very dull. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. This this isn't a race I would probably spend a lot of money on, but none, none of the others in here got me very excited. I guess the one horse you have to wonder about is on the outside, uh, Beauty Amaze for Todd Pletcher, first time in this country. He's been running on the synthetic. That's where he broke his maiden over in Ireland. But he, believe it or not, Todd Pletcher doesn't have a lot of stats with these kind of horses. So he's one I think you would want to watch the board. You obviously can't do that for the pick five, but it, if you're playing the pick four, it might be one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I also thought Icarus might be a little interesting. He ran well last time at a mile and three sixteenths at Keeneland, rallying into a pretty sluggish pace. But the outside draw and maybe a mile and a sixteenth could make for a bit of a tough assignment. Yeah, the outside draw at these uh, mile and a sixteenth distance uh, on the Belmont Outer course can be pretty tough at sometimes. It's kind of a weird start. And yeah, it's just one I, I never really like seeing those horses out there. Good thing is Eric Cancel takes every horse back to last anyway, so shouldn't be much of a problem as far as where he's positioned early. Let's go to race number eight at a mile and a 16th on the main track. These are $40,000 claimers. It's, I hate to say these are kind of old school races because we just don't see regular straight high level claiming anymore. And these are often some of the better horses on the grounds, um, ones that could probably be running in allowance races elsewhere. I thought this was a super tough race, Craig. And even though I think Musical America has maybe a bit of a pace edge on the inside, that's a tough horse to take as well. So I thought this one was wide open. Who did you like? Uh, from a speed figure perspective, it's a tough one. In these races, I, I generally kind of look at the horses that are changing barns, believe it or not. They usually have something that maybe doesn't show up. And I kind of like Pioneer Spirit. He's a tough horse. He's been a stakes runner in his day. And I just think he's one that is probably going to show some improvement, even though it's claiming off of Rudy Rodriguez. Uh, these horses just seem to flip barns. He's got the figures, and he's the one that I think can be pretty close laying up next to, to Musical America and take over and just be pretty strong through the lane. Yeah, reclaimed by um, Mertken Kantermasi, who's quietly having an excellent meet. This is a horse who was a little wide last time out on a day where you wanted to save ground as well. I thought that likely worked against him. Prince James is going to be pretty well backed here, stretching out in distance for Rob Atris, moving back in for a tag. I thought this was a horse that you might try to take a little bit of a stand against. I'm not altogether certain he wants a mile plus 
and uh, you're going to be dealing with it with a shorter price than you'd like to take for these high percentage connections. Did you have a, a similar opinion on Prince James or do you think he was dangerous? Yeah, I did. Uh, the one thing that scares me is Rob Atcher seems to be really hot the last uh, few days that I've watched Belmont. And he seems to get on these rolls and, and his horses just win, but you can't use them all. I've already used two pretty short price favorites to start to pick five. So if I do play this, he's one I'm not going to use. One I would give a, a little bit of a chance to on the outside is uh, Last Chance at Glory. Uh, he's a horse who was running at Oakon and, and say what you will, though, those are tougher races, I think. Ocon uh, just offered huge purses this year for the last couple years. And I think the horses coming out of there, they, they are a little bit better than what their class they've been running in will show. Yeah, I agree. I was gonna actually going to bring him up because on Time Form US numbers, he's an excellent fit. Horses like Kershaw and Roaming Union that he ran into last time are very much the types that are going to be competitive at this level. Kershaw, in fact, ran yesterday uh, for in a, in a higher level claiming race, I believe. But uh, I agree, last chance at glory, of course, who was claimed by friend of the program, Marshall Graham, 10 strike racing last time out with his partners and will now make his Belmont debut for Michelle John Julio. Race number nine is at seven furlongs on the Widener turf course. These are some of my favorite races just in terms of configuration, but they uh, often really give me a headache in terms of figuring out who's going to win. Yeah, these are tough. We don't see a lot of seven furlong turf races outside of uh, Belmont. I guess if you venture north of the border to Woodbine, you get them now and then, but most turf courses aren't set up for this. So I generally try to look for horses who are maybe turning back from a mile. I, I definitely try to avoid the sprinters uh, who have shown their best at five, five and a half furlongs. Uh, I don't like them in these races at all. And this race in particular looks like it has a lot of speed. So I'm going to kind of look at some of the closers in here. Who uh, chief among them are you looking at? Uh, I think the obvious one has to be Mr. Kringle. He, he pretty much fits everything I said. He's turning back from a mile. He obviously uh, he gets Flavian Pratt for uh, John Terranova, who he doesn't often ride for. So I think that's a good sign for him. He's one to start with. Um, Outside of that, I think Uncle George is a horse who might be interesting. I think he's been running a little bit short. He's going to offer a, a lot more at the windows than uh, Mr. Kringle will. But he's one that's been running at six, and he just has the look of a horse to me that would do better at seven. He tried it once earlier or a couple times earlier in his career, but I think he's in better form right now. Yeah, this is a great opportunity for me to bring up one of my pet horses, and that's Cotton who uh, last year in his final start of 2021, he was just butchered by his rider. He was given no opportunity whatsoever. Last time out, I don't want to beat up on Luis Rodriguez too much. Look, he's a single-digit percentage jockey, so you kind of know what you're getting into. Deep cover, who won the race, wired the field, obviously gave him no chance, and this horse got stuck in traffic again. And so the fact that he got into some trouble, I'm going to give him one more try. This is a big jockey change to Dylan Davis. Getting to seven-eighths, I think, will help him as well. He's probably going to be an off-the-pace type, but maybe not from as far back as the likes of Uncle George, who has gotten just a little bit pluggish for me as, he's, as his career has gone on. He's just He's never really had any speed, but he seems to have gotten even slower early. The other thing that's good that remains to be seen here is that mission at the spa set this crazy fast pace last time out when he kind of ran off with trevor mccarthy and i don't think he's going to go that fast again that was at a mile this is at seven eights they're probably going to look to rate him a little bit better um in the opening stages it still feels like with the size of the field 
and the amount of speed these horses possess. I know, according to Time Form US, it's going to be a fast pace. It looks like they're going to move, as you said. Yeah, he was a horse I really wanted to get behind, but because of the reasons you said, there just looks like a lot of speed. And this seven furlong distance is a really tough one to to do that, go wire to wire, open up a lead. I do think he's going to get some pressure. So I couldn't blame anybody for taking a shot with him. I do like the turn back, but I, I'm not a big fan of horses that don't like the rate on turf at any distance, and particularly at the seven furlongs. And he just didn't read at all last time out. No, he is a runoff. Chuck Lawrence, also a long shot specialist, but this is a horse who looks like he is not controllable in the opening stages. The nightcap on this 10 race card is at a mile and three eighths on the inner turf course. Interesting distance and a setup for this field where Chad Brown's forwardly on the inside is likely to be a pretty solid favorite, though it's never a huge vote of confidence from Chad that you send a horse down to Monmouth. We'll see if forwardly can get going again coming back to New York. I also thought that Good Medicine, who was a distant second last time out for Todd Fletcher, looked a little interesting as well, likely to be a pace player. Yeah, I'm not going to use forwardly in here. I haven't picked too many prices, uh, a couple that have looked okay. But forwardly just kind of has that, uh, what do the kids say, mad look to it. He, he's you know, not the most exciting Chad Brown horse, as you say, when he sent them to Monmouth, outside of a horse like Bleecker Street, who uh, just never seems to lose. It's not the, the best sign we're ever going to see. So the one I'm going to lean on is uh, Good Medicine, as you mentioned. He's one that I think will appreciate the extra distance, even though he got ran down last time by a horse who just ran away. I liked how he was able to hold on for a second. And I think he's just going to track off of the six-horse Akamar, who is stretching out from seven furlongs to a mile and three eighths for some reason i'm sure he'll be out there all by himself i guess you could say he's dangerous but that just seems like a, a step too far for me yeah this is quite the stretch out and this horse did get involved in a pretty hot pace last time out we'll see if he can handle that extra distance what did you make of the four braille for suge mcgahee moving to the turf for the first time the dam was all turf. She was a graded stakes winner on the lawn for Chad Brown. And uh, this is her first full to race. This is a big turf pedigree, though, um, for a horse that has at least shown uh, some ability. Yeah, I think she's one you have to use. Shug McGahee, especially at these longer distances, he does just fine moving horses to the turf for the first time. Definitely a bit of a wild card, as you say, the female side is turf. I don't think Quality Road is exactly the, the best turf, turf sire out there, but... And Shug, you trust if he's anywhere near that six to one, he's definitely worth using. And you were the man who installed that horse at six to one. So you can say that more so than anybody else. Craig, thanks so much for joining me and taking a look at this late pick five sequence. Everybody, you know, Craig from Twitter at time from us figs. He's a very nice guy. Don't beat up on his morning line making. He's a figure maker. He did. He deputized for David Aragona this week and did yeoman's work. Craig, thanks again. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me, buddy. Things are heating up down in the great state of Texas at Lone Star Park. We've got about five weeks left in the meet that ends in mid-July. Two player-friendly wagers on a daily basis. The Lone Star Six Shooter with a 12% takeout. That is a 50-cent minimum. It is a traditional style pick six, no jackpot component. And the Players Pick Five with a 12% takeout. 75% of the pool will be paid out to those with five of five. 
25% in a consolation pool to those who end up with four or five. Again, no jackpot there. We've got a $50,000 guaranteed late pick four every Sunday. Sunday's card this weekend on Father's Day features five stakes races for Texas breads. And we're greatly looking forward to the Summer Turf Festival on Saturday, July 16th. Turf action with four stakes totaling $750,000. Also another opportunity to qualify for the NHC at Lone Star Park, the Summer Betting Challenge will take place on Saturday, July 16th with a bankroll of $1,000. Get on board with our friends down at Lone Star Park. And now the final segment on the In the Money Players podcast for this Friday edition. I have Jessica Paquette here to cover the Lone Star Pick 5, the Queen of Texas herself, having spent the weekend in the announcer's booth at Sam Houston Race Park. How are you doing, Jess? I'm great, Nick. How about you? How's How is it back up in the booth? It's great being back in the booth. Last night we had a couple of stakes. We've got couple nights left in the meet. Martha and I are going to do a little podcast later today covering the stakes races on a Saturday night. It's it's amazing the meet's over. It's been quite a whirlwind. It's been a ton of fun. And I can't believe we're already through five and a half months of it. Of course, we really benefited from having you involved in both meets now. It's been a lot of fun. And how was your first year of announcing full-time gone? Like, what are, what are your takeaways first year? Oh, it was great. You know, I, I uh, feel like I've gotten better. I think there are things that I'm definitely doing better than I did last summer. And uh, the quarter horses are a little bit of a different challenge. You know, you're looking for different things <laughs> during the races. And and I will admit, I probably don't memorize them as much as I did the thoroughbreds. I mean, I memorized every thoroughbred race, but uh, because you really, I mean, you can't fake it. But with the quarter horses, you know, you're kind of calling three or four and they break out of the gate. You can look down real quick. But um yeah, I definitely am getting more comfortable seeing what's happening out of the gate and and coming up with some, trying to come up with some clever things that make the things a little bit more interesting. But it's been a blast. And, you know, from a personal perspective, it was a tough start to the year for me. But I think going to the racetrack and and uh, and doing that on a regular basis was was very much cathartic. And that's sort of been the case my whole life. Right. I mean, going to the track was something my dad and I did. And um, and so going there will always feel a little bit like home for me. And now I actually have a place in there to call home, having a, a job and an office and all of those things. So it's been great. It's It's been a lot of fun and, and I'm, I'm eagerly looking forward to 2023 and beyond. You and me both. Yeah, exactly right. You will definitely be in the mix with us again, as we really value the work that you did for us at Sam Houston again this year and getting you down here a few times was a lot more fun, of course, than it was in 2021. Now that we're hopefully on the other side of things COVID wise, um, yeah, we're we're ready for it, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Let's take a look at yeah, let's take a look at this sequence that begins in race number four, an eight race card on Saturday afternoon at Lone Star. Do note that they have five stakes races on Sunday, a big card of Texas spreads. Uh, with I think they have 10 or 11 carded on Sunday, but just eight on Saturday. The first leg is the fourth, which will go right at about four o'clock Eastern time. $7,500 maiden claimers going seven furlongs on the dirt. And Jess, one of the guys that you've seen do pretty well throughout the year is Danny Pish, who is dropping number three, 2020 redo, kind of a funny COVID name uh, here into the $7,500 ranks. This is a big drop for a horse that looks like she kind of lays over them on paper. And this is sort of a selection of attrition for me. Um, it's just tough to make a real case for anyone else in this race. And this one showed just enough improvement with some class relief last time. The further drop, I think she'll just be a little bit too much horse. It looks that way. I wondered where Alfredo Contreras was during the Sam Houston meet. He didn't start riding until they got to Lone Star. I've always kind of liked him as a, a long shot jockey, heady rider too, who figures to put this daughter of Texas Chrome on the lead. I think she'll be really tough to handle. If she can get clear, if there was any alternative for you in the pick five or even a backup, who would it be? 
I, you know, I'm just singling here and moving on. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I maybe would make a case for Ronda Tooley's Venus Island, but that seems like a bit of a reach too. There was improvement last time out, second off the layoff, maybe wanted to sprint the whole time, but it does look as if the first leg should go the direction of 2020 redo. Race five is at a mile on the main track, $5,000 maiden claimers. We're going to be dealing with a favorite here in number three level, who is uh, from the barn of Steve Asmussen. I suppose, actually, Secret Survivor could end up going off the favorite. Secret Survivor is the morning line favorite. I, I don't know where it'll end up with the, either of these two. Neither of them look all that exciting. I feel like Level is going to walk into that paddock with a big red flashing for sale sign um, in for 5K, kind of as the meet is winding to a close. That's going to be a pass for me. Um, I do think Secret Survivor, not a huge price here, but I like that the source showed interest at the end and seems like a horse whose form is at least trending in the upward direction. Yeah, I agree. I also, both of us being sort of grammar nerds, having writing backgrounds, when Level dwelt in his debut, the comment line says dwelted. And it just oh, drives, oh, that hurts me. That yeah, it just drives me crazy that it says dwelted, that you've now put the further past tense on an already past tense word. So, so yeah. this is, to, I broke up with a boy in college because he would say use guys. <laughs> and it just... Like a part of my soul died every single time, and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I couldn't. Um, my parents are Brooklynites. Yeah, they're they're not use guys types. They've they've I've heard them you throw a use in there every once in a while, but it's usually back when they're with their natives, and even then, very rarely they'll say y'all though. Yeah, that's also um, that's fine. That's uh, I'm a, I'm a New Englander. <laughs> You're an adopted Texan now too, so you I always know. I become more of a Texan every time I'm there too. Hey, you know, it's uh, Davy Crockett had it. He knew it. He said, y'all can all go to hell. I'm going to Texas. <laughs> he, knew, he knew what he was doing. But um, yeah, you Secret Survivor looks like a horse who's on the improve. I agree. And, and J.R. Caldwell wins at a very high percentage because he knows where to spot his horses. I wondered, this horse probably isn't nearly good enough, but Jansen Melanson is on the seven twist of fate who should be forwardly placed. Maybe a horse who could stick around for a, a a piece of it. The whole thing feels like it's going to be a bit much. Oak Hill Solution stretches out for Cesar Govea and Rudy Guerra. I'm reaching here a little bit with these horses, but Level and Secret Survivor don't really inspire the greatest amount of confidence, which is why you want to shop around a little bit in that second leg. The third leg is on the lawn at a mile on the turf course. These are optional claiming uh, money-restricted allowance types. And we've got a few horses in here coming out of races on Memorial Day including the Ouija board distaff, which was won by Park Avenue in a wire-to-wire -wire fashion for John Sadler. The other shipper that day, Avenue de France, was second. They were both from the Golden State. Lavender ran the best race in arrears of those two and is probably going to end up the favorite here. And a deserving favorite. She's just such an honest, classy kind of horse who shows up every time. I am interested in Silverscape at a little bit of a price. First try against winners has shown plenty of ability on the turf. And the thing I wonder about this horse breaking from the inside with the um, severe heat wave that has been going through Texas, I have to imagine that Lone Star Turf Course is tight right now. Um, a little Saharan, maybe. Hard would probably be the right word, right? Yeah, I'm trying, trying to find a diplomatic yeah. way to say that, yeah. but I think it's going to play really, really favorably to a horse that can break on top, um, has a lot of natural speed out of the gate, I think, if she gets her turf course here. Well, you're right. And the other thing is that we've not only had exceptionally high temperatures, but there's just been no rain. I mean, Texas is in a drought that now goes back to the beginning of, of 2022. I mean, this is 
this is about as little measurable rainfall as we've had in quite some time. The problem is, especially in Southeast Texas, when we end up in a drought, a hurricane always ends that. So we're kind of going to kind of hope that there's no hurricane that gets us out of the drought, especially as I'm on the one year waiting list for a natural gas generator at my house. So this would be if there was a fixed odds market on hurricane, you'd definitely bet yes on 2022. Uh, but we're going to hope that that doesn't happen. Shirley's temple ran in that Ouija board distaff as well. She was really no factor. It was a race dominated on the front end. I know Mindy Willis is a conditioner who you took a liking to seeing a lot of her horses run well, especially in turf routes at Sam Houston over the winter. I thought Shirley's Temple could get a P, could get a share here. I, it's not going to be a I'm surprise. using her here too. Yeah, probably in the four to one, nine to two range at most. Island Hideaway was actually the third choice in the Ouija board distaff. Kind of faltered coming back on relatively short rest for Carl Broberg. Did you think there might be a bounce back for her? I wondered. Um, she was one I gave a little bit kind of as a, as a B selection. I think, you know, since I'm having a pretty conservative ticket to start this sequence, this is a race I'm comfortable going two, three, four deep. I agree with you. I think that I think that makes perfect sense. I think this is the one where, as you said, we're pretty skinny in the first couple legs. This yeah. is where you can add a little bit there. I wonder with Island Hideaway, Rye gave her such a good ride in early March at Sam Houston. And I remember noticing down the backstretch, I was going through the field and I was like, holy cow, that horse is loaded. And all of a sudden she made this big move on the turn. He's gotten her a lot more involved in her last two starts. I think a more patient ride might actually be exactly what works for her. And maybe the pace scenario with Silver Scape and our Irish Rose drawn towards the inside could end up helping that happen. I do think it would increase her chances quite a bit in that sixth event. Let's go to race seven at five eighths on the main track. It's a three life claimer, 7,500 and down from there. Steve Asmussen represented with the two Ochita coming back to Texas from a try at Louisiana Downs. It looks like favoritism will go towards the outside to number seven, Lacey Boss, Brett Calhoun hitting at a 29% clip at this meet. She is bidding to improve second off the short layoff off a good effort on the turf. Yeah, I think she's the sharpest of the speed here, too. I think she's just a little too quick and naturally a little faster than most of these other horses. I do give a little bit of attention to the two Caldwell horses, Fearless Factor and Bonus Babe, the six and the nine. Uh, Bonus Babe gets Lane Luzzi aboard, dropping back down. She wanted this level two back. And I think many of her efforts have come against better companies. So I think she could have an impact here. Yeah, I agree. I thought I thought Bonus Baby was the more interesting of the two, though Fearless Factor is probably i you know i don't know pace wise it, it looks like lacy boss and bonus baby could battle but at the same time neither of them are like super quick so yeah. I, that's what i wasn't wasn't completely sure of but it definitely felt to me like the winner was coming from that group of three the two caldwells or calhoun who if you look at the morning line i mean they figured to dominate the wagering yeah i completely agree that all makes a lot of sense to me the nightcap, uh, race number eight on this card is a Texas bred five and a half furlong maiden special weight event on the dirt. And Mindy Willis is represented with the rail runner Storm and Hank. In terms of favoritism, we're likely looking at number eight, Bling Me the Money for veteran trainer Bob Young. Two on the board finishes in two starts thus far. Uh, with all due respect to Eric Garcia Alfaro, I watched enough Sam Houston to know that this is a huge jockey change to Christian Torres, even though he really did nothing wrong with this horse last time. In all fairness, we're just getting a slightly more confident pilot in the irons. And I think a horse that has that sort of tactical speed, especially a young horse, a confidence in the rider can go a long, long way getting a horse a little brave on the front end. I think Bling Me the Money has a really good chance here. And I do kind of like Storm and Hank. Uh, looking just a little bit at trainer intent, he was in for a tag last time out. She steps back up to Maiden Special Way Company. Maybe she really wants to hang on to this Texas bread. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, he dares the devil is a horse coming back on short rest for trainer Carolyn Dodwell, who ran on June 10th and uh, ran second to Will the Thrill, who was a handy winner. This horse went off 10 to 1 last week, and I would have I would have booked every cent at 10 to 1 and actually ran well. I wondered if that horse maybe coming back this quickly was worthy of a look, maybe a little bit better at Lone Star. I do kind of, I don't mind a quick turnaround, especially if it's second off of the layoff. Um, this can be like strike while the iron's hot. You got the horse correct, got the wheels tightened a little bit, and maybe he does make that final step forward here. Yep, I thought there was an argument to be made there. There are a couple of second-time starters, three of them actually drawn towards the inside. I know you and I both have some affinity for second-time starters because of the generally the growth that horses have between their debuts and their second starts of the trio of Unbridled George, Singing Dixie, and Cibolo Earl. I was actually most inclined to take Singing Dixie because he was forwardly placed in his debut and now shows up as a new gelding. Yeah, is he actually, like, I know we had some confusion about yeah. when he was actually gelded in Sam Houston. He's probably not a new gelding. He probably was a gelding in his debut. I don't think they gelded him the day after his debut. But um, yeah, I, but I, I know you like maybe, maybe they have. But it's anyway, awesome. I mean, I, I like Jaime Castellanos quite a bit, um, and he showed at least interest last time. Maybe not the most ability, but this horse showed a little enthusiasm. Yeah, it took a modest amount of money, twelve to one in a seven-horse race. Showed some life early, as you said. Uh, we're grasping at straws, but that's kind of what you have to do when you're dealing with these ranks. You know, there's going to be a winner somewhere. There will be a winner in this race. I can, we can only guarantee that that is for certain. That's a look at the Lone Star Park pick five for Saturday afternoon. Jess, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. We will talk to you again soon. You can follow Jessica on Twitter at JM Paquette. She is definitely gearing up for a busy summer at Colonial Downs, which starts in a month. Less than a month now. I move in in a, uh, the first week in July. So July, what, 12th, 11th is the first day? July 11th. Very nice. Coming up very quickly. Lots of turf action. Our friends over at Colonial Downs, very excited about that. Jess, thanks again. Lone Star Park, certainly one of our esteemed partners, been around one of the lo longest, actually, and we're glad to have him on board again this year. Thanks again, Jess. Thanks. Here in the pre-parade ring at Royal Ascot with uh... – my man, who is a researcher for Sky Sports Racing, did such a great job on our baby talk show. He is Callum Hellowell. Callum, how are things? Oh, they're good. They're warm. They are hot. <laughs> we are very, very warm here. Things are getting slightly out of hand under the three-piece suit, but we're keeping it on top. We're looking calm and collected. That's the plan, anyway. <laughs> we're going to review some of these Breeders' Cup win and your in-races we've seen at Royal Ascot so far. We'll start off with the first race of the meet, the Queen Anne Stakes which was won, of course, by Baid. Can we confidently say Baid is the best miler in the world at this point? Uh, Baid on the turf, best miler in the world, there's no doubt about it. He's first, the rest are nowhere. It's, um, <laughs> he was, people will question the winning distance, and he didn't dominate like Frank Hill did in the past, but at the end of the day, he was swinging. Jim Crowley was cruising aboard that horse, and I cannot wait to see where they go with him next. It looks likely they'll step him up in trip to 10 furlongs, go for the judgment at York. And if he does win that, then we're talking a very, very serious horse. Can't wait to see that. What do you think the chances are they might cut back after that to a race like the Breeders' Cup mile? I'd love to see them try it. I think it's a great way to secure his legacy. I think it's, it's something that Frank Hill never did was go overseas. And I think that really didn't disparage his legacy, but you could, you could never say he was the greatest because you just don't know what he's like when he travels and takes on the best from overseas. And I think with Europe's great record in the Breeders' Cup turf, I'd love to see him go over there and give it a crack. But... He's, he's at Shadwell. They have they have 
plenty of options for him there. So maybe the, the German will be the last place we see him, but we'd like to see him at the Breeders' Cup for sure. Now, you mentioned the Breeders' Cup turf mile and a half. Wouldn't it make more sense to cut him back for the mile, or, or you think it could go either way? Well, they talk about how quick these races are run over in the States and how sharp they are. And maybe even the further step up in trip could be an option, because it, you know, the horse with that talent, with his cruising speed, you can do literally anything with him, because he is just such a powerful traveler. And that's what you can really see when you watch a replay of the race. He just cruises into his races. And he's got so much underneath yeah. him. And Jim Crowley's not even released half of him yet. I'm sure there's <laughs> plenty more horse. Let's move on to more win and your in action in the form of the King Stand Stakes. Obviously, we've heard the tales about Golden Pal, the Breeders' Cup uh, turf sprint. Victor didn't really get his fair chance. What we did see was a very impressive winner. Now, let's just put it this way. If Golden Pal had got out two strides in front of Nature Strip. If Golden Pilot got a furlong in front of Nature Strip, Nature Strip would have still won. That horse is a freak. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he is the greatest, fastest thing I've ever seen in my life. Eight years old, chestnut, built like a cow. He's a monster. And he absolutely dominated, something I was so excited to see. He came with such hype. The Australians came and they often overhyped their horses, mm -hmm. but my goodness, he was good. Very good. We get to see home affairs coming up later on in the week as well. And that'll be fascinating because the Australians really do have a stranglehold of the sprint turf division. Best turf sprinters in the world we've known for quite some time. As for Golden Pal, hopefully a chance to regroup. Maybe he can uh, regain his title, regain uh, his status with the rest of his campaign, culminating in another Breeders' Cup performance. What do you think? You give him a chance to bounce oh, back? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think the start, you can put a line through the basketball race. It was, it was great that they came over, and we are so grateful for someone like Wesley Ward to send these horses over and take a risk, because it is a massive risk to take. But I still think he's got a lot to prove, and I think he goes to the Breeders' Cup, and I'd love to see him blitz him. Absolutely blitz him. <laughs> you can hear your passion, your enthusiasm for racing. You're not, you're not faking this up here. Oh, gosh. No. <laughs> I am faking how composed I am under this heat, but that, that, that's the only thing I am faking. Let's Aside from move. that, I'm all good. Let's talk. Let's talk about the, the Prince of Wales Estates Wednesday's win and your in race. What did you make of this one? State of rest, state of rest, state of rest. <laughs> You're talking about a horse that has done it in four different Group 1 races in three different continents. He goes to America and wins the Saratoga Derby. He's already been to Australia and won the Cox Plate, which is not a donkey race. The Cox Plate is one of the greatest turf races of all time. He goes and smashes up in that. Then he finishes the Cox Plate and just to do put things in perspective, he goes to the Prix Gane, one of the premier French races, and wins that. And at odds of five to one yesterday, five to one. People still don't put respect on his name. Put some <laughs> respect on that horse's name, because he's a monster. The Iron Horse, Kevin Blake, who uh, part, bred him, part owns him, he said he would run over a bus for you. This horse is tough as nails. The Iron Horse, the Giant's Causeway, but this horse has to be in a very similar vein. Oh, fantastic stuff. And one will, I've got to imagine we are going to see at the Breeders' Cup because he takes on every challenge, travels all over you the world. Are, you would absolutely love to see it. Uh, he's got, he's been bought by various connections in Australia, in Ireland. There's different ownership strategies there and they would know more than I'd know. And I mean, if you've got a horse that can do it, if there's a horse that can travel, my God, it's him. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Great tactical ride there as well. Very oh, exciting. Cross, Shane Cross, the yeah. young man, Shane Cross. Oh, the cojones on that boy. <laughs> the horse has never led a bit of work in his life and he just leave the group one in a new country. <laughs> Done their business. Too good. Too, too good. One more race to talk about uh, as far as the win in your in stuff goes. The Norfolk, which happened earlier today 
as we're filming this. Big upset in this one. What did you make of the Riddler? Huge upset for the Riddler. Uh, 50 to 1 the odds were. Came from one side of the track to the other. Took every single horse with him. If it was in America, he would never have kept the race. But in Britain, he manages to keep it somehow. I think Ammo Racing, who had the second and the third, are furious. <laughs> They're not very happy about it. Keir Jabakaran is not happy. But you know what's great is that he's got every opportunity now to go over to the States. If I was his connections, I would be straight over to the USA. I'd be doing as much as I can to get as good a result as possible because... You've, you've got all the options in the world for you now. It's opened up. He's 50 to goddamn what? Come on. Come on. <laughs> now, I'm assuming the name, I, I'm just envisioning the as a perfect question mark for the blaze. Is that, did you did you clap eyes on this thing in the paddock? Uh, did I clap eyes on the thing? Yeah. I didn't look at the horse in the paddock. It was 50 to 1, for God's sake. <laughs> I was looking at the other horse. I was looking at the Antarctic. I was looking at Wolver. I didn't look at the 50 to 1 shot trailing around at the back of the pack. Iron hoof. I was never looking at that. We'll see if we can find a picture. I have a feeling it's going to be some cool blaze in the form of a question. That would be that would be the best name uh, of the day, if that's yeah, absolutely. He, he, and do you know what? A Royal Ascot winner is a Royal Ascot winner, and you have no idea how these horses can improve. I remember uh, Berkshire Shadow winning here last year. I think we going, oh, is he any good? And then turning up and running an absolute belting race over the mile last time out just a few days ago. So these horses, it doesn't matter the odds. They've probably run three or four times in their career. Let's see what you can do. Take them to America. See what you can do. When you're in, baby, you're in. <laughs> I love it. Callum, thank you so much for sweating with me here. We'll be talking soon. Cheers. That's going to do it for this edition of the In the Money Players podcast. Big thanks to PTF for having me deputize for him while he is overseas enjoying Royal Ascot. Hopefully you are taking in all of the Royal Ascot action and following along here on the In the Money Media Network. We've had a lot of great content that Pete's been heading up with pro punter Rob Dove. If you're going to get involved in these races from a gambling perspective, you've got to be listening Two opinions like that. I want to thank all of my guests on this program. Going back to Drew Coatney, who is here to talk about Woodbine. Craig Milkowski covering the Belmont Late Pick 5. And a big thanks to Jessica Paquette for coming on to talk about Lone Star once again. That's going to do it for this episode. For the In The Money Media Network, whose president and CEO is Peter Thomas Fornital. Business manager is Drew Coatney. Chief Creative Officer Jonathan Kinchin. And I'm giving myself a title. Vice President Nick Tamaro. Until next time, best of luck.